Hello and welcome to our weekly podcast from Faith Point Church, Auckland, New Zealand. We hope you will encounter God afresh in this week's teaching segment. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to hear more, then you can visit us at www.faithpoint.org.nz. And now for today's message. Amen. We're going to continue today with the Burnt Stone series. And uh, we're talking about uh, a period in the history of Israel where they were invaded by a foreign power. Their city was destroyed. The walls were broken down. The, uh, the temple was raided and destroyed. And uh, the city of Jerusalem became a byword. It became a place of mourning. It became a place where there just was no life of God taking place there. And uh, this speaks to us, obviously, about the burnt lives in society. Many of you that are sitting here today and many of you that are watching over the internet today, you know what it likes to be, you know what it's like to be a burnt stone, a stone that's been charred, a stone that's faced many disappointments, hurts, offenses. You, you understand what that feels like. But God is in the business of taking those charred remains and turning them around, turning our lives upside down for good and restoring us back to the right order. Amen. And placing us back in the wall of destiny where we belong as children of God and taking our place in God's purposes and plans for our lives. Now that's God's calling and the devil's calling is to persuade you out of that, to speak lies into your ears and tell you otherwise that there is another plan for your life that doesn't include God, that doesn't include restoration, that doesn't include God's love saturating your life and leaving you, as it were, as one of those burnt stones sitting there doing nothing, uh, speaking of times gone by where, you know, once God was good, but I don't know about it anymore because that doesn't seem to be my experience. That's not how God wants you to be living your life today. Can I hear an amen to that? And so I want to talk to you today in, 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 in the scheme of the timeline I want to talk to you today, when God starts beginning to build within our lives, uh, it attracts serious opposition at every level. And uh, I've experienced it in my own life. I've experienced it as a shepherd and a pastor many, many times over the years, where I see the external opposition coming to a person in the form of demonic pressure and demonic powers starting to press in against our lives. And that obviously has to be responded to. And, uh, and often if we're not quite sure, we've never walked this way before, that's why it's so important that you don't walk alone. If you're walking alone right now and you have no Christian influence within your life that's close enough for you to be able to make a phone call at midnight and say help, then you're walking alone. You think about that for a moment. Who can I call at midnight that could come and help me? And if you don't have somebody on your list, then you're walking alone. And we all need that somebody in our lives because the truth of the matter is, is that none of us can actually do it on our own. We need one another. And uh, Jesus demonstrated that. He called them together. He called the 12 together. They lived with Christ for three and a half years. 
He demonstrated he had three of them that were closer in his inner circle. They never walked alone. And we need that because where two or three are gathered together, in my name, there am I in the midst of us. And so sometimes we have to get rid of that independent spirit that plagues so many people's lives. You've been raised to never share your burdens. You've been raised to never share your secrets. You've been raised to put on a bold face. You've been raised to never share your concerns or your cares with other people. And as a result, you walk with an independent spirit. It's such a lonely journey. And we've got to break that independent spirit over us. Otherwise, we can never actually get the victory over the enemy because the enemy is very good at isolating people. He's very good at just siphoning us off so that we actually come to that point and we say, nobody cares about me, which is not true. It's just that you've actually distanced yourself and you've given off the vibe to others, I don't need your help. Is anybody finding an amen in their spirit to that today? And so we get, we get external opposition in the realm of the demonic realm coming against us. And we know this is true. We know what Jesus said about the enemy. He's only come to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that you might have life. But then as we start progressing and we start, we start allowing the Lord to rebuild this burnt stone, and begin to place it back in the wall of destiny, that then we've got another enemy, and that's the enemy inside of ourselves. It's the, it's the broken part of us that we've got to allow the Spirit of God to come in and begin to restore and heal and bring true perspective, because often our inward perspectives are so clouded by what we've experienced in life that we can't get an accurate picture of what's really going on inside of our lives. And so we start fighting with ourselves and wrestling with ourselves. And God wants to set us free from that this morning. So Nehemiah 2, verse 17, Nehemiah said to them, You see the distress we are in, how Jerusalem lies waste. Its gates are burned with fire. Come. And let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. That we may no longer live in such vulnerability. That we may no longer be pushed around by our shame if I can talk about it in a different way. That's what reproach means. Reproach means to be buried in your shame and wallowing in your shame. Wow, we were once a shining city in the middle of the Middle East. We were the crown. We were the jewel in God's crown. The Solomon, the, the temple when it was built that the Queen of Sheba came from the east to see. And she said, wow, it's not even, it's not, it, what they told me was not even half of what I actually see in front of me. The glory of this. And now they're living with broken down lies, broken down walls, broken down temple, wallowing in their vulnerability and their shame. God sends a man whose name means comfort. Comfort from God, Nehemiah, just like the ministry of the Spirit, the Comforter, who comes to us and begins to minister to us and begins to get to that, us to that point where we can begin to see a future and a hope again, where we're not buried in that shame and reproach, where we can start to dream again. Maybe life can be different. Hallelujah. 
Verse 18, and I told them of the hand of my God that has been so good to me. You know, that's why testimonies are so powerful. Because if God can do it for brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so, maybe he can do it for you. Maybe he can do it for me. And so Nehemiah starts testifying about how the king gave him free passage, provided him with all the resources, sent soldiers to protect him on the journey. And they're going, wow, wow, wow. You know what their conclusion was? God must be with him. That's the conclusion when when we're bold enough and brave enough to stand up and share what the Lord has done for us. They overcame the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Testimonies are so powerful, so powerful as we share them. It builds faith. And also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. So the people said, let us rise up and build. You know, it's one for me, for me, it's one thing for me to say and stand in front of the church. Church, let's rise up and build. Yeah, let's go. And I can be full of faith and I can be full of the Holy Ghost. But if you haven't got anything inside of you, then guess what? It's like many people think they're a leader, but they turn around and nobody's following them. They're just simply taking a walk. (laughs) But the Bible says here, the people said, the people said, let us rise up and build. And when God's people through a family that is connected together in the Spirit on a journey with God to restore other burnt stones because we've been restored, when we begin to say, yeah, Pastor James, we're going to do it. Let's rise up and build together. It's not just about you, Pastor James, preaching up the front on Sunday. It's about us Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. It's about us living it out and touching our community with the power of the gospel because we've caught The great commission and the great commandment, we're saying, yes, we are going to rise up and build. Hallelujah. You know, the word build is a very powerful word. You can't have restored lives unless there are builders involved. We're builders in the spirit. We're builders to help restore the brokenness in people's lives. God has called every believer to be a builder. And it says, as they heard that cry coming from one another, that they set their hands to the good work of God. They got activated. Every person had a job. You know, friends, I've come to the conclusion that the church in the Western world has got a big problem. We've got a problem here today. Let's let's just say the Western world. Well, where's that? That's New Zealand. That's Australia. That's the United States. That's Great Britain. The Western world, we have a problem in that we have adopted a model that lends itself to building spectators, not participators. And we've built it on knowledge-based discipleship. We go to a course, we learn, and we think we've passed and we give ourselves a big tick, and we say, thank you, Jesus. But we're not doing anything with the knowledge that we've acquired. We're still sitting in our seats spectating. But we attended, so therefore we're okay. Now, I'm not here to pop anyone's bubble, because I'm sure that most of these bubbles have already been popped. But this is what I believe. By virtue of the fact 
that thousands upon thousands of people are going to hell every day in our nation. And in Western nations, we've got to change. We've got to find God's methodology and way which Jesus made clear, go and make disciples of all nations. Every one of us, not just the pastor and the leaders and the elders and the beast. Oh, that's the pastor, the beast and his wife. (laughs) And so uh, this is what I believe. God is starting to get the attention of pastors in the West. And he's speaking very, very, very pointedly to our hearts. And so can I say this to you today? I'm looking through the glass dimly because I've been raised in a methodology as you and I have in in our Western countries. But God is starting to clarify and the glass is starting to become more and more transparent and we're starting to see something emerged where every believer is a minister where every follower of Jesus is involved, where every one of us is cheering one another on because we're all builders. We're all rising up and building. We're all taking our place in the wall of destiny that God is rebuilding through our lives. Your kingdom come, Lord. Your will be done here on earth as it's already been done in heaven. And so we find, you know, obviously, You know, the Pentecostal church has been guilty over the years of being Pentecostal and being proud of it. Yeah, I'm a Pentecostal. We've got the Spirit. We're proud of that. But the problem is, is that we've often equated the anointing of the Holy Spirit to warm and fuzzies. As long as I feel that nice glowing warmth of God ministering around about my life, I'm quite happy. But we fail to understand, friends, that you, the teaching from Scripture regarding the anointing of God is that the anointing of the Holy Spirit is given for purpose. It's given to activate our lives. And let me show you Isaiah 61 from the Old Testament where God begins to unveil. This is the anointing the Messiah is going to carry. This is the anointing the Messiah is going to pass on to his followers. That's you and me. And this is what he says. I'm quoting a man who was uh, preaching 800 years before Jesus came along, describing how our ministry environment would be today. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Why? Because, here's the explanation, because the Lord has anointed me too. He's anointed me to do something with it. He's given me the anointing for a purpose, not just to make me feel good. Not just for me to get the warm and fuzzies, but for the purpose of, listen, to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. And if you, if you walk down a few verses later, where this concept of building comes into, into our, our rear vision mirror. Look at it. Verse 4, they shall build up. These are the anointed ones. That's you. They shall build up the ancient ruins where God's going to put you right in the middle of communities that look very shiny and bright on the outside, but inside they're broken ruins. 
where people are struggling with huge mortgages. They're struggling to, 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 to break away from a consumer-orientated society where everything's about buy till you die, spend to the end, acquire more, acquire more. That consumer mentality, it's killing us. And so ancient ruins, people are being ruined on the inside and God's going to raise up you and me to rebuild the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities and devastations of many nations. You see, when you understand God's plan, God's plan is to raise up sons and daughters. That's called, at Scripture, it's called sonship. And you, you can read a whole chapter on in the book of Romans, one of the great books of the New Testament, where Romans 8 unveils God's plan to raise up sons to represent him in the earth. And sons is gender both, female and female. So my wife is a son in the house today. Uh, I'm a son in the house today if I've received Jesus and I'm under the tutelage and discipleship of Christ within my life. I'm a son. But did you know the original meaning of the Hebrew word for son? It means a builder of the household name. A builder of the household name. Now, I want to qualify it today because I'm not talking about the household name of Faith Point Church, which so many preachers go down that track. We're building the house. Woo! Go Faith Point. Go Faith Point. Yeah, go Faith Point, go Faith Point. <laughs> you like that dance? Yeah. <laughs> Hope can give me some instruction on how to be a dancer. The household name of the kingdom of God. Jesus said, repent his first message. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. There's a brand new world that's unfolding on planet Earth where a king is going to begin to rule and reign through the nations all around the world. The kingdom of God is exploding and growing because sons are building the household name of the king and his kingdom all around the globe. So we're, we're called to become builders of God's household name, to bring a reverence to bring a proclamation to bring the reputation of Christ aloud in the world today. And so here's some areas from this passage that we understand how God begins to build. The first thing that he does is that he begins to build our personal lives. Can you say an amen to that? Man, if I was trying to do my job here today and I go back to when the 1985 where I met Jesus and had an encounter with Jesus. And if, and if I hadn't changed and God hadn't been able to do the work in my life since that point in time, I would have been gone long, long time ago because over that period of time, I've learned how to be a co-worker with the Holy Spirit and to cooperate with Him to places and moments of time on my timeline, there's a place James surrendered. There's another place where James, I cornered James. He had nowhere to run, and he had to surrender to me. It was bang or bust. And so he decided it's going to be bang for Jesus instead of bust for Jesus. And God was able to mold my will and for me to surrender along the way. And we have these places all on the timeline of our life where God begins to build on us on the inside. Praise his name. And so 1 Corinthians 3, 9 says, you are God's building, you're God's architecture. 
The Spirit has designed you and He's building your life from the inside out. Jude 20, building yourselves up. You see the connection here? Building, God's building, building, building. And obviously this verse is about praying in the Spirit, building ourselves up, edifying ourselves through the ministry of the Holy Spirit in prayer. And so the first lesson that we begin to learn, and this is why the people took responsibility and said, let us rise and build, was because first of all, God had been building in them. Now this morning, I can't make you grow. Only you can make you grow. And the day we accept responsibility and take responsibility for our personal growth. Like brother came up to me this morning, wanted to share, and I felt it was more appropriate in the, in the preaching of the word today. If you, you respond to this, he saw a, a big black X across someone's life. It's like they were trying to move forward, but they couldn't because this black X was stopping them. It was binding them up. They needed to be set free. So if that's you, get some ministry uh, this morning at the end of our uh, time in the word. But God wants to build our faith. He wants to build our character. He wants to build our school set. He wants to build our capacity. God is doing all these things within our life to grow us. That Isaiah 54 that Viv mentioned this morning, enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch out the tent pegs. Lengthen the, st- lengthen the rope. Stretch out the curtains. There's a stretching going on within us because God's building you. He's building Christ in you this morning, and he's asking you to respond. So every day, I've got to, build, I've got to get up, and guess what? One of the first things I need to make a choice about for my personal life, will I build an altar to God? Will I stop long enough to worship him? Will I stop long enough to read his word? Will I stop long enough to pause in his presence so that Christ is being built in me? It takes an effort and a commitment to build you. And that's where it all began with these people who had lost hope until Nehemiah came along. The second area that God causes us to build is build the house of God. You know, the church is not the ultimate goal, although the Bible does say very, very clearly that over the course of uh, the ages of the past, that from every age that has been since Christ, that Christ is calling out a bride for, uh, the Father's calling out a bride for the bridegroom of heaven. And one day we're going to have a wonderful wedding celebration of all those who have called to be the bride. And in a way, that's part of the whole, that romance is at the center of the universe in God's mind of perfecting this bride who currently needs some work. The makeup's not quite right. The dress is not quite right. There's a few spots, wrinkles and blemishes that God's ironing out, but he's preparing the bride for the heavenly bridegroom. But God is building the church. He's building the church. And the church is building the kingdom. And the kingdom is the bigger picture. And so God has called us to build, to work with him to build this incredible kingdom. And as we build the house of God, we're building and advancing the kingdom of God. And so that's what happens. You know, uh, 1 Corinthians 14 makes this very clear. Every church family, this is what he said. And we practice this as a church. Verse 12, you are zealous for spiritual gifts, 
but let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Did you get that? Spiritual gifts are for the edification, not of me, the prophesier or the with gifts of healings or the gift of faith. It's to build up and edify the body. That's why God gives us spiritual gifts. It's not for me to be in the spotlight, but it's for you to benefit from those spiritual gifts that God has given. And so we, we, when somebody gets healed through laying on of hands, praise God, glory to Jesus Christ. But somebody, just their life just got changed through a supernatural work of the Spirit that came through spiritual gifts, and the house is being built. Amen? Churches, there's, there's many of them around the world that say this, they're dispensationalist. What a dispensationalist is, is that they say that miracles were only for the time that the apostles walked the earth. And they say that God no longer does miracles. After the last apostle died, all the miracles ceased. Well, guess how many miracles they have in their churches? Zero. Zero. And so when we open up our minds to understand that spiritual gifts are to build the house and to build the body and to build the people in the body, that's when we begin to see the Holy Spirit begin to accelerate. But without going into too much detail, Ephesians 5, the next verse, you'll see this. Uh, Speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body is joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. What's the outcome? According to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself and love. Now here's where God starts getting a hold of our lone ranger mentality again, or our independent spirit. The way that God ministers through the body is through the joinings in the body. The elbow right now is causing my forearm and my bicep and tricep to cooperate and work together. This forearm cannot work without that joint. And this joint, Paul is saying, the joints in our body, our knee joint, all the hip joint, all those other joints that are in our body, that is the relational connections through which the Holy Spirit moves in the body. In other words, no relationship in the body, no connection, no building up, no ministry flow. So as we join together, as the ladies had a fantastic time on Friday night, building, making friendships, having fellowship together, relational connections are growing, and through those connections, the Spirit is flowing. Listen, have you ever tried to rebuke somebody and you have no relationship with them? Notice the first part of that verse, speaking the truth in love. You know what those conversations are, eh? They're hard conversations. Whenever you say, oh, brother, I'm coming to speak the truth in love to you, get ready. Get ready. Something's coming your way. Speak the truth in love. That normally means you're not going to like what I've got to share, but if you're willing to take it with humility, it's going to help you to grow. Amen? To people who aren't prepared to receive a word of the truth and love, then you have an independent spirit because you're not open to your brother or to your sister. You're a law unto yourself. 
all right? And so humility, the word humility means get lower. Get lower. So that means pride has to go so humility can come and we can receive those hard words. And I had many of those in my early discipleship times where I had a mentor who refused not to speak the truth and love to me. I had some really hard situations where I, it took, sometimes it took me days to humble myself and say sorry. It's like, won't come out. Sorry, honey. I said sorry. I said sorry. You want me to go lower? Oh, man. She's a hard woman. So the end of all this, we see what happens in Nehemiah 4 as they begin to build the wall. It says in verse 6, so we built the wall for the people had a mind to work. They broke through those barriers. My third point this morning is that this is where the rubber hits the road for all of us. All spiritual building faces opposition. You never get away with not having opposition. Try and build a marriage where there's never an argument. You know, if that is your experience, this is what it normally means. It means that one of you is not being honest. If, if, if the wife is, yes, sir, husband, yes, sir, three bags full, sir. I'm not speaking about anyone I know. I don't know anyone like that, all right? <laughs> but opposition eventually comes praise God opposition comes and it's in those times of opposition that we as we cooperate with God that God begins to build something big and so Sambalat comes Tobiah comes and when and it says in verse 1 of chapter 4 when he heard we're rebuilding the wall he was furious so up until the time they actually put their hand to the plow it was all theory Ah, if they think they're going to build a wall, a fox can run over the top of it and the wall's going to fall over. There was just accusations. There was just put-downs, left, right, and center. But suddenly, the people got a mind to work. They rose up and they began to build, and suddenly, the enemy is furious. That's how the enemy feels about you when you start sharing your faith, when you start building an altar in your home, when you start reading the Word of God on a regular basis, when you start a prayer life within your home. Suddenly the enemy is furious because the more closer you get to God, the less he's got on you and the less he can manipulate and control you. Wow. Verse 8, all of them conspired. What a word, conspired. Conspired, that means they got together with their evil powers to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. So we see that spiritual powers come to do two things, to create confusion and to create discouragement. So understand that opposition is external, demonic powers, it's internal, us sorting ourselves out and aligning ourselves with the Lord. So look at, look at this. here's the problems. We can identify them because they're in Scripture in this chapter. That's why Nehemiah 4 is just such a powerful chapter. 
Here's the issues and the troubles that they faced. Some of them you might recognize. Number one, fatigue. Fatigue. Verse 10, the strength of the laborers is failing. They started out on their project. Yeah, we're going to rise and build the house of God. And then suddenly, (laughs) they're running out of puff. They're getting tired. Oh, Pastor James, is there anybody else that can be on set-up duty? (laughs) I seem to be doing it every week. (laughs) I'm getting tired. Isn't there somebody else that can do morning tea? (laughs) And we start getting fatigued. We start to wear out. And we start to realize that the personal cost of what we've said yes to is a lot higher than what we originally thought. That's why Jesus said, before you start following me, sit down and count the cost first. And he likened it to a man building a tower. He said, make sure before you start this tower, you've got all your resources, you've got all your building materials, and that you can finish what you've started. That's what commitment means. Commitment means I'm not going to run when the heat of the battle starts flaring up around me. I'm committed to this. I'm committed to building what God wants. And friends, I've been this place too many times. I've been, especially when you get older. It's funny, that isn't it? Especially when you get older. You start growing crocodile alligator necks like me. And you wake up and you realize there's a lot more wrinkles staring back at you in the mirror. And you start and it, and it, and you start realizing I don't have the same energy as I did as a young man. And then you start realize that you have to get rather than going hard, yeah, I'm going to go hard. Rather than go hard, you got to start living your life smarter. And living your life smarter means this. You've got to enter into God's rest where you cease from your own striving in order that the Holy Spirit can now have time to oil all the cogs of what's going on inside of you. And as you enter, how do you enter his rest? You cease from striving. You put time aside no matter how busy your schedule is to build that altar of worship to God. They that wait upon the Lord, one of the verses mentioned this morning, they will mount up with wings like eagles. Suddenly, you know what I need, why an eagle is so special to be used in this uh, illustration? Because an eagle has 10 times the eyesight than what you do, and suddenly you start seeing things in the Spirit that you've never seen before because you've taken the time to enter God's rest, to stop running around like a headless chicken and start to spend time kneeling and sitting at the feet of God. Friends, that's one thing we can never compromise on. When we start compromising on it, guess what? You miss a day, that day turns to three days, that three days turns to a week. Suddenly your yearly Bible reading plan is looking like a, ma- a mammoth mountain that can never be climbed because once you miss even five days on an annual Bible reading plan, suddenly you feel buried, I can never catch up. So, fatigue. We allow our spirit to be refreshed. Frustration, there was so Verse 10, there's so much rubbish, we're not able to build the wall. Guess what trap they fell into? That's one we all fall into. This is where judging others comes in. We start spotting the rubbish in other people's lives. We become judgmental. 
we gossip in the name of truth. Did you hear about? I'm only telling you so you can pray, brother, sister. And we use spiritual language to disguise our wicked gossip. And, 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 and as a result of what's coming out of our own mouths, we find ourselves being trapped ourselves because judge not lest you be judged. Suddenly judgments start coming back at you. And you think, well, why are they judging me? But take a look at your own conversation. If you're feeling judged lately, actually take a look at what's been coming out of your own mouth just recently. So they got frustrated because they started focusing on the problems instead of the assignment that God had given to them. So easy to do. And suddenly, you know, there's just too many problems. Just everything seems too much. Frustration levels are rising because we're no longer focusing on the source of the problem solver, Jesus himself. We're focusing on all the rubbish. Are you a problem solver or are you a problem pointer outer? <laughs> I've found over the years that Christians love to be problem pointer outerers. And they'll come to me and they'll point all the problems out, but they've got no solutions for me. Be a problem solver, not a problem pointer outer. And praise God that Nehemiah was a problem solver, so he was able to look ahead. And he was able to lead them through that period of frustration. And the third area is the area of fear. Sure enough, fear will always be there. Verse 11, our adversary said, they will neither know or see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. So all of a sudden you're hearing these voices in your head that are just building fear, fear, fear. And you're starting to, because the fear of man brings a snare, a trap, and you start getting trapped in the middle of all, of all of this. So coming to an end today, how do we overcome all this discouragement? How did they overcome all this discouragement? Nehemiah did three simple things to turn it around. The first thing he did was he got everybody connected. Why did the ladies have such a great time on Friday night? Because you got connected. You were sharing, you were talking, you were singing. You were eating, I heard. You were eating um, things that men never get to eat in their gatherings. <sighs> Do you detect a tone of resentment coming through? <laughs> That's because we won't be bothered making it. <laughs> Verse 13. Therefore I positioned men. What did he do? He positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And so he got them all connected together. And once you get people connecting and on the same page, you get momentum. You get things starting to move and starting to happen. Friends, we're never going to win the world on our own. We have to learn how to connect together and be relationally aligned together in order to move things through. And I see the kingdom of God coming in greater ways, not in bigger crowds, but in smaller crowds. I see the kingdom of God invading communities through small groups who are connected 
connected together with the purpose of mission and love for their neighborhoods and seeing what amazing things they can do as the kingdom of God is advancing through them in the days that are to come. Next thing he did was he restored their focus. He said, look, in verse 14, I love this verse. And I looked and rose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, he said, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Friends, where we place our focus and where we place our attention is going to have a big bearing on how we walk and live our lives. He refocused the people of God in this situation back on the Lord himself. And he says, remember the Lord. Remember the great things he's already done in your life. Don't forget the testimonies of God's power and the victories that he's already done in you. Let other people speak their victories over your life to encourage you and let you get through. He said, don't be afraid. Focus on the Lord. And then he said, get some mongrel back into you. That's my translation. Get some mongrel back into you. He said, get up and fight. Stop lying down and just saying it's all too much. I guess go and go. I mean, we all get, we've all been through seasons like that. And that's why I'm saying we all need somebody next to us. Oh boy, we do. You know, if one is alone and they face troubles, they have problems. But if there's two that are together, two are better than one, Solomon said. And so he says, you, you can then get up and you can begin to fight. And he said, fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters. Don't let the devil take the fight out of you. And then finally, we see the outcome, awesome outcome. Verse 15, and it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had brought their plot to nothing. Amen. Holy Spirit moving. All of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. And then verse 18 tells us what they did from that point on. Every one of the builders had a sword girded at his side as he built. He was ready to build and he was ready to fight. He was ready to build and he was ready to fight. So as we finish this message this morning, I want to ask you, has the fight gone out of you? Has the fight left you? Have you been, have you been, has the enemy come into your mind and into your thoughts in such a way that you are struggling to actually get up for it and fight the good fight of faith that Paul talked about? To understand that God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, a spirit of power. You want a spirit of power that has a spirit of power breaks through. A spirit of power is able to get you out of that corner when you're trapped in that corner. God's power can come and get you out of that corner and get you back up and fighting again that good fight of faith. A spirit of power, a spirit of love. Amen. We don't think everybody's out to get you. We're not out to get you. We're out to love you. We're out to build you up. We're out to get you back on your feet and get moving and get going for Jesus. We don't want to see you kicked down and, and out and, and being trampled underfoot by men. We want to see you rise up in what God has called you to do. And love will always turn a person's life around. Amen. 
You've been given a spirit of power, love, and you have a sound mind. Stop allowing the devil to tell you that your mind is twisted, your mind is gone, that your mind is depressed, that you'll never be the same person again. They are lies from the pit. And, and the enemy just loves to saturate this generation with lies about anxiety and being super hyped and, su- and, and super anxious I want to tell you today, these things are real when they come against us. But understand, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That the lion of tribe of Judah that was spoken of earlier today, that he can stand up inside of you and make you a courageous person that is able to return to the work of God, return to building the kingdom of God, return to see the power of God rising you up and rising the church of Jesus Christ up. So we can we do it? Yes, we can. Bob the Builder, can we do it? Yes, we can. Hallelujah. Let's stand to our feet. (laughs) Praise God. Thank you, Jesus.